You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So much going on out there in the world today. Um, I, I can tell you that we're really not hardly going to touch anything on the combine right now because there's just way too much going on outside of that. Lots of people running really fast and jumping really high. Lots of really impressive stuff. Um, maybe at a later date, we'll look a little bit more in depth at that. But again, just too much going on especially with the news and notes and rumors and thoughts that go with all those things so the theme for today and we'll see how far we get but linebackers and tight ends because there's just a ton going on just with those two positions so I want to look at um, I guess all things related to linebackers and tight ends and how it relates to the Green Bay Packers possibly a little bit with running back as well actually we probably will touch on that Maybe even start with that. I don't know. So there you go. But just a lot of stuff. So uh, without further ado, if you're not in the Packing a Podcast Facebook group, please get in there. Like the Facebook page. This is the last day of February. So good as to give you an additional day. You're very welcome for that. If you want to get involved in the giveaway, again, patreon.com slash pack underscore daddy to uh, be able to donate. You can do as little as a dollar a month. And that'll get you in on this contest starting tomorrow. I'm going to go through the process of setting it up so that I can pick a winner. And the winner will be able to design their very own Packers shirt. I will go out and pay to have it designed for you. And I will ship it out to your house. Otherwise, other ways to help out the show, five-star iTunes review or any other kind of review that you can think of. Otherwise, just word of mouth. If you're talking Packers, see if you can slip it in there. Hey, if you listen to the Packers podcast, pretty good. Stuff like that. You know how this works. Alrighty, let's go ahead and uh, just take our break, and we'll start talking about some stuff. Getting down to the wire on this Arizona thing, man. So I'll take a couple more swings at it. You've got an opportunity to follow your favorite baseball team down to Arizona for the Cactus League spring training. Great weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, amazing food, like cheese crisps. If you're a big baseball fan, I mean, this is just something you should be doing kind of regularly, I would think. And if you're not... Got to up your game. 10 stadiums, 15 teams, amazing weather. Doesn't really get much better than that. And of course, when you're not baseballing, you do whatever you want to do. Because this happens to be a vacation. So whether you're planning on going hot air ballooning or skydiving, going up or down, I don't know, whatever you're into. I guess in either case, you got to do both. Or just chilling at a really, really nice resort at a swimming pool all day. Entirely up to you. So once again... Do yourself a favor and at least go to the website, visitarizona.com slash springtraining, poke around, see if it's something you might want to do. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, 
and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so I want to start with some talk about the cap and what the expectations for the salary cap will be in the coming years because it's going to kind of set up a lot of what I want to talk about today. The expectation. Here, let me just read it. This is a tweet from uh, SpotTrack, the, the account. It says, Early reports are pointing to a normalized increase in the NFL salary cap for 2020, which is $200 million. $200 million would be about 5%, which is what it's been doing consistently. Then it says, Back-to-back big jumps in 21 and 22, not unlike how the NBA agreement worked, potentially as high as $40 million increases. Not $40 million increase over two years, $40 million increases. I don't know how that's even possible, but that's a massive amount of money. So what does that mean in terms of what the Packers should be planning for the future? First of all, if I'm Brian Gutekunst, I want this confirmed. And by the way, if this is real and if I'm reading this correctly, a $40 million jump would be 20%. So you've had about 5% a year, and you're going to get a 20% bump. That's beyond insane. But but trying to think where to, there's so many different directions to go here. J- just think about it in these terms. I've mentioned before, we've talked a lot about contracts, and I've given you a billion examples, and I'm going to do it again, of how contracts are generally structured. Typically, especially the way the Packers like to do it, there's a couple characteristics. Number one is a massive signing bonus. Basically, the signing bonus will eat up all the guarantees. So if I give you $20 million in guarantees, you're going to get a $22 million signing bonus. That's what they did with Zadarius Smith. So the guarantees are done. The second generally is a low first-year cap hit. In year two, it's roughly about what the average is, maybe a little below. So again, with Zadarius, let's just call it $17 million in the first. I don't even remember what the actual numbers are, but roughly 9 million in the first year, maybe $16 million in the second year. Then there are big jumps up to like $20 million. He's got like $20.5 million in the last two years of his contract. So think about what that means going forward. We're talking about, should we sign Brian Balaga? Well, I don't know, and I'm even starting to think maybe that's not going to be the case. But let's just think this through. If you were to re-sign Brian Balaga and he wants $10 million a year, this year, what is it going to cost us? Can we afford it this year? In a general sense, yes. Again, $10 million, we offer him what? It's not even an offer. He's going to get a massive chunk of money. Again, if it's 15, 16 million in guarantees, he's going to get a $15 million check called a signing bonus. Plus he's going to get his salary for this year. He's going to walk away with 17, 18 million dollars in the first year. But in terms of the actual cap hit, it's going to cost us maybe like three, three, four million dollars. And and the thing is, this is kind of where I'm going with this. You can make it even less and backload it even more because there's a $40 million jump in your salary cap. So if I'm if I can get this conserved cons, confirmed, I'm signing everybody. Aaron Jones is getting an extension. David Bakhtiari is getting an extension. Brian Balaga is getting a contract. And I'm going out into free agency and I will very happily start paying money because we're talking about 80 million dollars over 2 years. The amount of money that caps and that's the other thing that you got to factor in. All these average dollar amounts are about to go through the roof. 
$40 million for a quarterback is going to be the baseline. I mean, that's just, that's entry level. If you're, if you're good and we want to keep you, $40 million is just going to be what it is when the salary cap hits $280 million. So if you can sign as many possible people right now to contracts right now to these what, what, what would be considered massive contracts today, the fact of the matter is next year and in two years, th- these guys are all going to be essentially getting ripped off. And I, I'm not advocating for ripping anybody off. It's a, it's a good deal, so take the deal. But we're going to be looking back on this saying, dude, you got Aaron Jones for $8 million a year. Running backs are getting paid 20 And we don't even pay running backs a lot of money these days. Wide receiver is going to be getting $28 million. I mean, it's just, I'm making up these numbers, but I'm just trying to put into perspective how massive this is. The, the, the only thing I could compare it to, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but in, Brett, in uh, 1997, Brett Favre got a contract. It was a very, very big contract. It was a five-year deal worth about $40 million. $7.8 million was the average per year that he got in 97. That total was 18.8% of the total salary cap. That's a ridiculous amount. It's, it's a huge amount, or percentage. Here's the thing, though. There was a massive bump in the salary cap. So looking at f- from 1994 through 1997, it went from 34 to 37 to 40 to 41. So it went up 3 million, 3 million, 1 million in the last several years. The next year, it went up $11 million. Huge, huge boost in the salary cap. Suddenly, that, that almost 19% hit is a 15%. The next year after that, the cap went up $5 million. The year after that, it went up another $4 million. By the By the time this is all said and done, when, when Brett Favre was actually looking for a new contract and got another extension, he was only making about 11.5%. So if we looked at, at that in terms of like what Russell Wilson is getting, Russell Wilson signed a average yearly contract of $35 million a year. He signed it in 2019. That's also about 18.5%. This year, he's getting about 17.5% of the total cap, still a big chunk. If this thing takes two $40 million per year jumps, in 2022, Russell Wilson will be getting 12.5% of the total cap. So in other words, 35% is nothing. Let me, let me put it to you another way, because I, I, just, I, I really want to make sure that we understand how giant this is. A Russell Wilson-style contract, if you compare it to even what Aaron Rodgers got or what Brett Favre got, let's call it 18.5%. If you want to do that in 2022, you know what the cost of a quarterback is going to be roughly? $51.8 million a year. It's going to cost you $51.8 million for a quarterback. Do you understand how massive of a jump that is now? So again, if I'm looking at this, we have to look in, I, I'm personally not looking at this in terms of a $200 million cap hit. I'm looking at this in terms of what is it going to cost me to sign a guy in 2021 and 2022. Let's say we want, and, and this, let, let, I'm going to skip a few things and go straight to tight end, because we're now talking about Austin Hooper, and there's a lot of rumors going on about Austin Hooper, and I'll get to my reservations about Austin Hooper in a minute, but let's just talk about, let's just say we're convinced he's the guy. He's, he's going to be a great tight end. He's going to come in. He's going to do the job. Fine. Done. Let's talk about the contract now because there's talk about him wanting $11 million. He's going to reset the market, right? Oh, man, 11. Because for us, again, $10 million to Jimmy was ridiculous. He was the highest paid tight end at $10 million a year. Now we're going to go out and spend 11 It feels like a lot. $11 million for a tight end this year is about 5.5% of the total cap. 
for reference, Jimmy Graham was closer to 6%. So we're, we're spending technically less. I, I know in actual dollars, which is, this is, I think, the problem when, when we think about this. We think in terms of absolute dollars, right? We hear so-and-so got the new highest contract, and it's like, well, he doesn't deserve the highest contract. You're thinking about this incorrectly. We have to think in terms of percentages. How much of a percent of the cap are you going to get? The numbers keep going up. It's about percentage. You want respect. You want what you're worth. Your worth is what percentage of our cap we're willing to give you. So it's just because somebody got a higher contract this year than the highest paid tight end who was paid two years ago doesn't mean they're getting more money. In, in terms of real dollars, he's getting more money. But again, if we give Austin Hooper $11 million, understand that that is a less respectful, less whatever, however you want to put that, a smaller contract than what we gave to Jimmy Graham, 39, 45-year-old Jimmy Graham, however old he is, I don't care. And we can go down the line and look at, at tight end contracts. I've done that in the past. 5.5% is not that much. So we can't think of it as, do we want him to have the highest contract of any tight end? In other words, is he the? he's not getting this unless he's the best tight end. That's not really the right way to think about it. It's still a big contract. 5.5% is more than a lot of teams are paying. But let's let's even set that aside for a moment. I, I did a contract structured basically the exact same way that we did the Zadarius Smith contract. Here is essentially how this would pan out. If we gave him eleven million a four year eleven million dollar per year contract for forty four million dollars in total, there would be thirteen and, and a third million dollars in total guarantees. The cap hit for Austin Hooper this year would be four point eight million dollars. So in terms of cap hit, which really is the is what we're talking about, how much of your actual cap are you giving up? It's only two point, uh, yeah, two point four percent of your total cap. I mean, because really, in, in terms of thinking of average per year, that's kind of a silly way to do it, because you're getting more than eleven million dollars in terms of total cash. But nobody but the Green Bay Packers accountants need to worry about that, and and Austin Hooper's financial advisor. Those are the only two people that need to care about that. The, the average per year doesn't matter because we all know they're not going to, they may not even get that total average per year. They've got to be there for the full length of their whatever. So the question is, what is the total cap hit for the team? And so you have to look at it each year and, and look at what is our cap hit going to be based on what we're actually counting against the cap. And again, $4.8 million is not $10 million. It's not however much we're giving Jimmy. We're, we're dropping it down to 2.4%, which is nothing. Okay, but you're backloading it. Exactly. But we're backloading it in a, at a time in which the cap is going to go through the roof. So next year, the cap would be, or the hit would be 11.5. Again, the second year, it's right around that average. And then after that, it goes up. And that's what scares people. It's backloaded. That's a, this is when I first started looking at this stuff. It's like I hate this structure because it's so backloaded because I forgot to think in terms of how rapidly the salary cap is going up, especially now with this new CBA. If what they're saying is true, and if I'm reading that correctly, that we're talking about $80 million over two years, in 2020, $11.5 million with a $40 million cap increase. In other words, the cap, hit, the cap for each team would go from 200 to 240 is still only 4.8%. Remember, Jimmy Graham's contract when when we signed him the the average so in other words ten million dollars back when we signed Jimmy Graham I know he didn't get ten million but just bear with me ten million dollars back when we signed him to that contract was six percent Austin Hooper getting um, eleven and a half million dollars in twenty twenty one is four point eight percent that's that's not very much continuing on the very next year 
it goes up to 13.8. Again, thinking in terms of how we think, which is at least a year delayed, we're thinking $10 million means you're the best tight end in the history of the world. We're thinking in terms of George Kittle, if he got a contract, it's, it's 10, 11, 12 million, like maybe. So why would you give Austin Hooper so much money? Again, we're talking 13.8 million in two years is 4.9% of the total cap. It's, it's nothing money. If you wanted to give what we gave Jimmy Graham, in 2021, do you know how much money you'd have to pay? $17 million. A $17 million uh, a tight end is about what the top tight ends are going to be getting paid, and we would be paying Austin Hooper 13.8, not even 14. So again, today, looking at it, saying, dude, I don't know, $11 million average. Next year, we got to pay him 11 and a half, and then for the next two years, we got to pay him almost $14 million. And again, it, it's only going to go down after that. It, it, I don't, it, let's just say it goes up another 5%. Maybe the, the big jump stop, and then we start going back on this 5% kick. The cap hit in 2023 would be $294,000. So we're down now to 4.7%, meaning he would never actually get a massive percentage of the salary cap. This this is peanuts. The The biggest amount we are going to be paying him is $11.5 million next year in terms of total cap percentage, and it's going to be way less than we ever gave a guy like Jimmy Graham. So again, now, again, if I'm reading this right, now is the time to sign everybody. Devontae, you want some money, man? Let's go, let's get, let's work this out. I'm doing all the extensions. Everybody's getting an extension. Balaga's getting a contract. Bakhtiari's getting an extension, which is going to save us money, by the way, which is fantastic. But also, it's going to backload a lot of this money. He's going to be getting big money down in the future. But we can make him the highest paid as far as average per year of any tackle. And it's still, as a percentage, going to be way less than a lot of guys in NFL history because of these massive bumps. You want to pay David Bakhtiari $20 million? It's not going to do that much. It's not going to hurt. I mean, it's a lot of money. But in terms of percentages, it's nowhere near as big of a percentage as a lot of these other guys. And again, if we give him a $20 million per year contract, and I don't even think it would be that high, I'm just going to the most ridiculous number I can think of, we're only going to pay him about $10 million this year. His cap hit is 14.7, so we give him a ridiculous contract. We're paying him somewhere between 8 and 10 against the cap this year, so we're saving four, five, six, seven million dollars And again, the, the biggest reason I'm doing this is because everybody's... The other way to look at this is everybody's price tag is about to spike and go through the roof. Now is the time to get him at a at a at what is now seen as a massive price. But by in in a year or two, these guys are going to be saying, "I'm I'm getting gypped, I'm getting ripped off here." But guess what? I don't care. Kenny Clark, man, come on, let's talk about that money. I'm going to pay you so good. And so, anyways, that's that's that perspective of it. Same goes for Aaron Jones. If we can get Aaron Jones for like eight million bucks, maybe it'll cost more, but. Don't think in terms of 2020. I'm more so thinking in terms of 2021. Now, I still think it's ridiculous to give $15 million to a guy like Aaron Jones. I mean, not anything against Aaron Jones. I'm just talking about running backs in general, because even then it's too much. But, and I really hope I'm right about that, because I've spent a lot of time talking about this. But it it, it feels impossible. Is the only reason I keep saying that I don't know that this is real. But I guess to put it in perspective, that big jump that I talked about back from 1997 to 1998 was a 26% jump. This would be a 20% jump, but it's back-to-back years. It's two years of 20%, well, it would be a little less than 20% because it's 220, but whatever, roughly 20% for two straight years. I tell you what, man, I, I know a lot of people were, were opposed to getting this deal done, and I know it's not that they didn't want to get a deal done, they just thought it was an unfair deal, but I think there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be very happy in the very near future. Guys like David Bakhtiari, who are butting up against contract extensions, I think they're going to be very happy 
because I think there's going to be a big television contract that's about to come through, massive new amounts of money, because really that kind of works the same as well. Think about how much more money there is, which is why 10-year contracts are just ridiculous to begin with, because the, it just it, everything just kind of flatlines. You're basing 10 years from now a contract based on what good money was 10 years ago. So you think about what this television contract is going to mean. It's it's a new contract that is 10 years updated in terms of what a, a television contract is worth. And I'm sure that's somewhat baked in. Television, they're, they're buying a little bit more than what it's worth knowing that this is a 10-year contract, so there's a premium on it. But it, it just it, it would make sense that there is a, a, a way higher bid than anything they ever got 10 years ago, which would explain $80 million over two years, which in the grand scheme of things, I mean, that's really not it. Well, it's, that's per team, though. And to be fair, it, it does say potentially as high as $40 million. So this could be 30 20 whatever. But again, if I'm Brian Gutekunst, I want a number. And as soon as that number comes in, I'm starting to throw money at Guy. Because there's going to be agents out there going, no, 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 listen, I know how to read a tweet. I know what kind of money's coming up. I know what my guy is worth in, in, in 2021 and 2020. Let's not try to play games. But you start waving around 20 million, 18 million, 19 million in David Bakhtiari's face, does he turn that down? Because there's a lot of guys who are thinking in terms of today's dollars. Because it is real, because at the end of the day, it is, forget percentages. This is real money. You got David Bakhtiari looking at guys getting signed at $18 million, thinking, wow, this is incredible that guys at my position are getting that. I can't wait. Hopefully I'm still around kicking strong. You know, I don't have any horrible injuries. And you get the Green Bay Packers coming to you saying, how would you like $19.5 million per year over the next four years? I mean, is there any any doubt? There might be some negotiation, but, you know, the Packers hold strong on that. I have to think he's going to take it. But anyways, let's uh, pivot from that a little bit. Tony Pauline and some of these guys have been rapid-firing a bunch of different um, things that they've been hearing. So the the first day there wasn't much going on, but now it's like there's a ton of news flying out. But apparently the running back market has massively cooled off. I talked about how recently we've had some big contracts, and even those as a percentage aren't super high, but they're still very big contracts. And I think the general consensus that we've all been learning as fans that you just generally, as much as we love running backs and want a really good running back, the data is very, very one-sided here that it just doesn't super pan out. We've had example after example of teams that massively regret, including the the Rams, who are in a terrible position of, of paying a guy massive amounts of money, and basically in year one of this thing being official, they want to trade him. They want to dump him. They want to get rid of him because he's not worth any of this. It's a ridiculous amount of money, and they never should have done it. And so via Tony Pauline, apparently what he's hearing is that teams are not going to be dishing out big money in the free agency market, which is a great thing for a team that wants to re-sign or extend Aaron Jones. Because everything is in terms of what the highest guy is going to get. So if the highest guy is Derrick Henry, let's just say, which is another reason why this should not be a super hot market, because to be fair, and I've been a huge Derrick Henry fan, I like Derrick Henry more than I liked Ezekiel Elliott coming out of, out of college. I've probably mentioned that several times. He's more my style, though, big, bruising Alabama-type guys. But either way, I, I just this guy has been a relative non-factor for a very long time. Last year, he kind of broke out. This year, he had a great year, especially down the stretch. But if he's the top of the market, there's going to be a lot of question marks and a lot of fears. What happens when you remove him from that team, that system, that offensive line? And if things cool to the point where he's getting maybe looks at 14, 15 million, which again, you got to adjust what that means, not just in terms of 2020 compared to 2019, 2018, but in terms of 2020 and 2021 and 2022, blah, blah, blah. 
everything just kind of goes down from there. If he's getting 14, then the next guy's getting, you know, 13-ish, and it just it filters all the way down to Aaron Jones, who I know we want to think is is primo, but look, I mean, it's even if we know, let, let's not act like other teams and, and the media and everybody else is looking at Aaron Jones as a top running back in football. So again, it, it just leads me to believe that there's some hope that the Packers will actually be able to extend one of the best running backs in football and not pay him top running back money. And again, I, I semi-don't like talking about this because on one hand, I would love to see him just get paid massive amounts of money because he's earned it. But ultimately, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan and being a good team means that you manage your salary cap. And, you know, so sorry. I want you to get paid a lot of money, but I don't want you to get priced out of Green Bay. So if he'd be willing to take, and I keep saying eight, it's just kind of a random number that I made up, but it, it's something I'm comfortable with where it seems like a lot of money for a running back. It also seems ridiculous that he would take eight, but if, if, if that's kind of where we're headed, where and these things go, these things happen. There was a time when you wouldn't draft running backs in the first round, then suddenly teams started doing it, and these running backs all started breaking out, and suddenly that became like the cool thing to do. Everyone's drafting running backs in the first round, and they're all panning out. And then that kind of dies off. This year, I don't think any of these running backs are going first round. Maybe one will, two will, I don't know. But then, you you know, you had this flurry of, well, all these first round guys now, we got to pay them big amounts of money and nobody wants to do it. And so you get this sort of oversaturation of these early first round freakish running backs that have been playing really well for a long time, saying, all right, pay me like a early first round freakish running back. And teams are going, I don't think I want to. And then a lot of them hit free agency. And it's just, it's market saturation. There's too much. It's too easy to get, and not just in free agency, but the draft, right? I know I can, I know I can draft guys like this. So the bottom line is, it just drops the price for everybody at running back, but also for um, Aaron Jones. And again, I'm I'm hopeful that Aaron Jones is just excited to be in Green Bay and excited to accept an offer. And if it en- ends up being eight, nine, ten million dollars, especially considering what this new CBA is about to do, that's a steal. I mean, if it's $12 million, I'm, I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I think if I adjust for it in my mind, I could talk myself into that being okay. Because, again, we're talking about $5, 6000000 million this year, and then by next year, it's it's not going to be as big of an impact. I'll, I'll worry about the math and the specifics when something actually happens, but it's all good news. I mean, it's good news that the running back market is cooling off. It's good news that the salary cap is about to go through the roof. If your intention is we need to re-sign Aaron Jones, everything is lining up just perfectly that it may actually happen and be a responsible thing, which is rare, to have a very good running back get an extension and for it not to be a bad decision. The stars have to align, and they seem to be. I'm kind of dancing around because I started with the cap thing. I wanted to go in order of position, but let me just jump back to Austin Hooper really quickly before we take a break here. I mentioned that I'm okay with a contract. If it's $11 million, that's not much money. That's not bad. The, the, the only question I have, do we want Austin Hooper? Because it is still a high cost. He is going to still be the highest paid tight end, maybe, depending on what else happens out there. Maybe uh, someone else gets an extension. I don't know. But when you don't have to, do you want to? And I, I fully understand the idea that, look, there's not, there's not really a surefire thing in the draft. And even if there isn't, even if you're committed to it and you're like, dude, we're taking a tight end in the second round, you know, I'm, I'm committed to taking Cole Komet. It's like, okay, well, you got to take him at 30, and you don't want to do that, and he's probably not going to be there at, in the second round. you got a 1 in 32 chance if every team says, I like him and I want to take him. Okay, well, you you got you to get lucky. So solving some of these issues, especially tight end, which isn't a super highly paid position in free agency, it all makes sense. But again, the real question for me is, because the, the problem is we're just assuming Austin Hooper's a great tight end, and I don't know that for sure. So let me just tell you my reservations, and I'm not saying he's going to be bad, but here are my reservations. Essentially what I want to know is, was 2019 a fluke? And actually, this, this all actually started 
with uh, Mike in the Facebook group. He said, I know you said not uh, no to Austin Hooper or whatever, but what about Austin Hooper? Because it was a, a article saying that apparently we're reaching out. And by the way, the Packers are calling everybody. There's a, a bunch of articles. They want Kwiatkowski. They want Schobert. They want Hooper. This is what, since day one, we started getting this from Ian Rappaport saying the Packers are calling about this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And it was literally every time a person hit free agency, you heard there's three t- teams reaching out and the Packers were one. And, and he told us that his plan is there's no reason not to pick up a phone and say, hey, what's going on? doesn't necessarily mean they're super interested. It could mean that they're just gauging the market. It could mean that for the right price we're interested. But again, he's right in saying, what's the harm in just picking up the phone and saying, what do you want? What is he looking for? Call the agent. What's he looking for? What are his expectations? Call the team. What, what is it going to cost to get a trade? And just, just gauge it because you should have everybody ranked and you should have an appropriate price. This guy would be worth it for this much. This guy would be worth it for this much. And then a, a list of we just don't want them, which, by the way, I mentioned I don't want Joe Schobert at any price. So I'm hoping that that's just a gauging the market thing. But anyways, there's, there's all these rumors, and Austin Hooper was one of them. They're going to make a push. Now, that's, that's different than they called about this person. This is rumor has it they're actually going to try to get him. And by the way, when I said no, not Hooper, the, the actual podcast was, I have an idea for a tight end, and no, it's not Hooper. I wasn't saying, no, I don't want Hooper necessarily. I was just saying, it's not who you think it is. That was the intent of that anyways. But here, here's the thing. The assumption, and I think the false assumption, is that Austin Hooper is one of the best tight ends in football. And that he's basically plug-and-play. You can grab him, you can plug him in, and it's going to be fine. It's just a matter of can we afford him. I'm looking at it from the exact opposite perspective. I know we can afford him. I want to know, is he actually a good tight end? Because a lot of guys have good years. And yeah, if we look at pro football focus, Austin Hooper was the eighth highest graded tight end in all of football. That's awesome. Right, you got your elite tiers of your George Kittles, your Mark Andrews, your Travis Kelseys. Then you got your second tier. You got your Dallas Goddards, your Darren Wallers, your Will Disleys, your Austin Hoopers. The question is, though, some of these guys we know are going to stay up there. George Kittle is is the real deal, right? He had his one year of being really good, but is it real? And then the second year was even better. Yes, he's the real deal. Mark Andrews has proved he's the real deal. Travis Kelsey has proved over the course of like six years that he's the real deal. Some of these guys, however, are first-timers. They've never been up here before, and Austin Hooper is in that category. So, for example, Austin Hooper, if we're just looking at PFF grades, 68, 61, 67, 78. Now, he fits the mold. What were we looking for before? We are looking for a young guy, 25, 26 years old, who just broke out. That's what Brian Gutekunst did last year. That's the avenue that they like. He fits that mold. We can afford him. What's the, what's the holdup? Right? 787 yards and six touchdowns. That's, that's great. The concern I have is the fact that we've seen this before. This isn't the first time somebody's kind of had a breakout, and it turns out it was just kind of a flukish year, and it just went away. Nobody talks about him anymore. Let me give you a couple examples. I think Cameron Brait is a great example. He had two mediocre years and then exploded. He got 660 yards and eight touchdowns and was an 80 overall grade via PFF, so higher grade and better stats than Austin Hooper. The very next year, in 2018, he was mediocre. In other words, he went back to being mediocre. And then 2019 was terrible. He had one breakout year, and now nobody cares about him, and he's not a very good tight end at all. How about Fedorowicz? You remember him with the Texans? He was a real big deal for a while, especially guys that do fantasy football. You remember this. You remember he was a hot commodity in as far as um, you know wanting him on your team, and if you, you drafted him or if you picked him up off the waivers or whatever, you were just killing it. The problem is you picked him up next year and he was a nobody. 
It's another example of a guy for two years being a nobody. He exploded in 2016, fell off in 2017, and then retired in 2018 due to concussion concerns. You could also do this, by the way, with both Bears tight ends to, to different degrees, Trey Burton and Zach Miller. Trey's grade went from the 50s to 60 to 65 and then 73.5 in 2017. So kind of that same breakout, similar to what we see with Austin Hooper. The Bears gave him a big old pile of money and brought him in because he was graded as the 10th best tight end in 2017. So the Bears are like, all right, we want him. 10th best tight end. He had his breakout year in year four. We're going to pay him a bunch of money. The very first year with the Bears, he dropped to the 31st tight end overall. In 2019, he sat on IR all year. So, I mean, of course, Bears fans are going to say, no, he's still a really good tight end. Just wait. He's, just wait till he comes back healthy. It's going to be fine. The fact of the matter is we saw 50s, we saw 60s, we saw six, uh, 65. One year at 73, and then he dropped down to the 31st best, back down into the 50s and 60s, and then he was on IR. So he spent one year on IR, four years being mediocre to garbage, and one year as being a pretty decent tight end. And, and we know he's going to be great because of what? Zach Miller was a little bit different because his breakout year was actually the first year with the Bears in 2015, but the point remains that he had he was a one and done. He had a 90 overall receiving grade in 2015, his first year with the Bears. He ended up getting 600 yards and six touchdowns in two years after that. So 2015, he was great. The next two years, he ended up with 600 yards, six touchdowns, and then he retired due to that horrific, massive injuries. So we, we, we've... So, there's examples of a lot of guys who spend a year up near the top and then just fall off. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's not that many actually good tight ends. So there are the elite tight ends, which usually in any given year, there's two or three of them, right? Back in the days of Jimmy Graham and, and, and uh, Gronkowski, right? Those are the top two guys. And then there's a couple guys that are really good. And then there's just these, whatever, middling, decent, but not great kind of guys. And so I, I decided to take it one more step further just to kind of continue looking at this. If you look at the top tight ends in 2019, there's not one single example of a guy that was bad for two or more years and then has been consistently good. Either a guy was good in his within his first two years and stayed good, or he's got one year of being good and nothing else. So in other words, you got the Darren Wallers, your Austin Hoopers, the guys who've had one good year, and we don't know if this is going to be consistent. And then the other guys are guys that have been consistently good for a long time. Those are the only two options. There is nobody who had two years or three years of, of not being great and then four years of consistently being a great tight end. Now, I'm not saying this this hasn't happened. We There have been examples of this. I'm just saying if you look at 2019, there's not a guy that's really good that followed that path because good tight ends tend to be good tight ends and not good tight ends tend to be not good tight ends. And we've got three years of examples of Austin Hooper not being great and suddenly becoming quite good. And by quite good, again, his grade was 78. So it's not like... And, and more specifically, he had like a four-week four stretch of being amazing. His, let me just read week by week. 67, 61, then his four-week stretch, 84, 74, 75, and 90. He finished off the year 65, 70, 69, 63, 53, 65, 68. From week 7 all the way through week 17, he was average almost every single game. He had one game in the 70s, but also one game in the 50s. He didn't get a single touchdown in the last four weeks of the season. He only cracked 100 yards twice all season. And so I... I I just, I don't know. I don't, is he about to break out? We're talking about 787 yards, so he's pretty far away from being a 1,000-yard guy. I just, I don't know. And and listen, if, if we could get this version of Austin Hooper for four years, I think I'm comfortable with it, because essentially he just fills a role. Or, or you could just say fills a hole. 
Right now, we just don't have a guy that can do the things we need him to do. Austin Hooper makes a lot of sense in terms of if if, if we're going to lower our expectations and say, listen, let's give $11 million to a guy who's not elite, he's never going to be elite, but he's good enough to just do that stuff that we need him to do that Jimmy Graham hasn't been able to do, that this guy, this guy, this guy, these guys haven't been able to do. On top of that, we're still hopeful that Jace is going to become something special. So maybe we get, you know, two Austin Hooper level guys where Jace can be like a 75 to 80 type of tight end and Austin Hooper can be a 75 to 80 overall grade type of tight end. Maybe between the two of them, you got like a 500-yard guy and a 400-yard guy, which isn't bad when you consider you got Devontae and hopefully another wide receiver on top of it and running backs that carry a big load. You know, we're not looking for a 1,000-yard receiver because that's not how our offense is necessarily going to be built anyways. Right, Atlanta had Julio and a bunch of other wide receivers, and they like to run the ball and everything else too. So, you know, take it in context of whether or not you're a 1,000-yard receiver. Not everybody's Jimmy Graham where you're the number one wide receiver on your number one receiver on your team that likes to throw 20-yard passes all the time like uh, Drew Brees liked to do to Jimmy Graham back in the day. So I, I guess I would be more comfortable if the expectations are lowered and we look at $11 million as being a moderately priced. I mean, it's high, but it's free agency. you got to pay big money, and it's just sort of a comfort thing. It's it, Compare it sort of to Adrian Amos in a way. I don't expect Adrian Amos to be the best in football, but I expect him to be a solid across-the-board guy. He's not somebody that's going to make a ton of highlight reels. He's not the kind of guy that's that anybody's going to be talking about, but you just feel good knowing he's back there. You don't have any concerns. You know, decent, but not that great of a blocker. He's okay, but as a receiver, he's just pretty solid. And, and at the very least, he's one of the guys, those guys that if you don't account for him, it's going to be to your detriment, right? You you if you if you really allocate some resources to him, you could probably take him away, right? He's not George Kittle, but you got to put the resources there. You might have to instead of putting a tight end or a linebacker there, you might have to put a safety there. But that's to our benefit, anyways, because we got uh, we got Devontae on one side and Jalen Rager on the other side, so to speak. And so now you got to allocate resources to Austin Hooper. That's to your own detriment. If we think about it in those in those terms, I'm a little bit more comfortable with it. And maybe I'm just cynical because we've thrown so many resources at tight end and it just never works. But I think I can get on board with that phrasing of something. But I'm, I'm not going to get on board with Austin Hooper is one of the best tight ends in football. Therefore, we should give him a, 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 the most amount of money. Maybe that can happen, but it's just it just seems so far, so distant from reality that I just don't believe it's going to happen. I would say it's more likely that he regresses than progresses. But if we believe that this is legit and we believe that he could actually break out again, he's only 25. And like newly 25, not like 25 going on 26. So last year when he broke out, he kind of was at 24 years old. So we're talking about a guy that's still relatively young. It's entirely possible. And, and let's face it, it was a, not a very good football team. I think Matt LaFleur is much more equipped to figure out how to use tight end. He's worked with Hooper. He's worked with the Falcons. So there's going to be some similarities there. I could see it working. But that's that's the way I'm going to phrase it if we end up going after Austin Hooper. That's how I'm just going to see it. This is a big problem that we need solved. And I think Austin Hooper solves it. He's not elite. He's not going to be the, the focal point of the offense. But he's going to be a solid, steady, reliable tight end for the Green Bay Packers. And I can get on board with that. And he was, a, you know, he's a third-round pick. It's not like this was an undrafted free agent, which you know makes me nervous. Third-round pick for a tight end is solid. Travis Kelsey was third. Jay Sternberger was third. George Kittle was fifth, right? It's not a big deal. I think that's solid. So he has the tools, right? 6'4", 254, 472 speed, which isn't blazing, but Jace is 475, I think. So, again, I'm not, I'm not expecting elite. I'm expecting to not have to sit here and go, we, we just don't have a tight end, and I'm tired of it. 
I just don't want to have to say that sentence anymore. Anyways, why don't we take a break and uh, kind of continue on. This Again, this is all kind of out of order, and I'm going to try to make it coherent, but I want to stay kind of in this realm a little bit. But let's take a break. We'll be right back. All right, so let's let's root through a couple of these things here, looking at linebacker. So first of all, there is a report that Blake Martinez is looking for about a $10 million per year deal. Again, considering what the contract situation is starting to look at, CBA, et cetera, et cetera, $10 million on its face seems a little silly, but let's not forget that they're starting to hand out $16, $17, 18000000 million contracts to linebackers these days. $10 million isn't all that much. Still way too much for us. I'm, I'm all the way off, which is, is hard to say because I was a big defender of both Jake Ryan and Blake Martinez, more so than most fans were. Uh, I know Jake Ryan especially people didn't like because that first year was just abysmal, but he really did take a big step. Not saying I'm upset that he's gone necessarily. I know he, I mean, he's hurt all last year, whatever, but... It's it's hard to, you know, I've been defending Blake Martinez for a long time. And actually in, I think it was, what, 2018, he was actually a pretty decent coverage linebacker, um, even though his ability to stop the run kind of fell off. I was hopeful that he would kind of regain that ability to be a great run defender while still maintain his coverage ability. And instead, he went the other direction. He lost the coverage, never regained the running ability. And really, at the end of the day, had had one really good year as a run-defending linebacker in 2017, I want to say. So 2016 was a rookie year, not very good. 2017, pretty solid against the run, needed more development and coverage. 2018, he did develop that coverage, but kind of lost that run ability. I figured it was a scheme problem, which I still think it is, which is a good reason to believe that he could go somewhere else and be successful. I think Petten came in, gave him a different role, and he just couldn't quite fill that vo- He couldn't do it. So anyways, $10 million bucks. we're not going to pay it, I, I would assume. And so, um, yeah, I, I think he's gone. But there is talk about some other linebackers. I already briefly mentioned them. Um, Joe Schobert is one of them. And the way that this article from Tom Silverstein and Jim Ozarski lays it out, it says, according to multiple agents who have been tracking the free agency market, the Packers are exploring what it would take to sign Wisconsin inside linebacker Joe Schobert. So when you have multiple sources, multiple agents who are keeping their ear to the ground and trying to figure out, you know, from from different agents and whatnot what he's looking for, you at least know that the Packers are making a call. Now, again, is this more or less to do with figuring out the market? This could also be a question of would the Packers be... Maybe you're, you're looking at it saying, would, would he be willing to take a hometown discount, right? Maybe he just wants to play for the Packers. Maybe that's a lifelong dream and, and wouldn't cost him that much. Now, again, at any price, I don't want him. I've already mentioned this. At any price, I don't want Joe Schobert. I, I don't think he solves any problems. And this is, this is honestly something Ted Thompson used to do all the time. He would go out and he would, uh, he would sign guys to fill roles that serve no purpose. He would get guys that are bad at the position to fill positions of need, and it's like, it would be better off just not even paying any money. Why do you even bother? He was so cheap about not wanting to spend big in free agency. That was always his number one goal. He just was insistent. And so we, he, he, would, he would definitely get guys, but it was just always, you know, taking a big step back. And I just have no interest in, in following that same pattern that Ted Thompson did of, we need a linebacker, here's one we can get for cheap. I don't care about cheap. We have linebackers that aren't very good right now. We can roll with Oren Burks, B.J. Goodson, and Ty Summers. I don't need a fourth guy that doesn't solve a problem. Again, Joe Schobert has been a terrible linebacker for quite a while. He's another example of a guy that, you know, you, you could have signed him in 2018 as a breakout player. 
He went from 53 to 68 to 77, and it's like, oh man, he's about to break out. He dropped back down to 59. As far as his ability to stop the run in run defense, his grades are 51, 77, 53, 47. He had one good year against the run. Otherwise, he's been abysmal. So I don't want to go through this all again. He had some real great games where he flashed potential. And and, and maybe this is another situation where it's their scheme doesn't work and ours would work better. Maybe if he came over by us, maybe we could just swap. Maybe we give them Blake and, and, you know, if they can sign Blake, we'll sign Joe Schobert. I don't know. Both fourth-round picks, you know, 6'1", 245, 4'7". I mean, they're similar type of guys. I just don't see the purpose unless unless that's the the thing because there's certainly some I mean he's got some games that are incredible. Week 2 against the Jets 86.3, week 3 80.2, week 9 89.9 borderline elite grade. Week 11 against Pittsburgh 93.3. I mean, he's got weeks where he was the best linebacker in football. Week 12 against Miami 85.3. The problem is after that game in week 12 59, 57, 40, 26 against Baltimore. Which I wonder why that's the case, right? You got a you got a quarterback like Lamar Jackson running around, and he doesn't have the speed to go catch him. He probably got to made look. He was probably made to look silly with his four seven six speed. I, I I just don't think so. I think if he's, I, I bet I would be willing to bet, having never really watched Joe Schobert, that he is a Blake Martinez clone. I don't know that, but I just get that feeling. I, I just I don't understand why this would happen. Again, he's got games where he's playing out of his mind. And maybe you've got a pro personnel department watching some of these games like, dude, you got to watch some of this tape. And it's kind of like watching highlight reels. I bet he's got incredible highlight reels. The problem, he's got such low lows and consistently bad, bad games. It's just he's not the kind of guy you want to take into the playoffs and trust that he's going to lock it down for you. So I, in my perspective, I see no reason. And, and the same is true with uh, Kwiatkowski. I don't mean the same in terms of my opinion of them. The same is true in terms of their apparently being interest. So, you know, in terms of build, it's the same guy. 6'2", 242, 473 speed. Another fourth-round pick. I mean, these are all the same guys. Blake and, and, you know, in terms of their build and their speed and everything else. But he has been a better football player. He was definitely much more consistently good with the Bears. If we just look at last year, he had three terrible games. Week three against Washington, which was his first week back. I know he must have been injured, so we could probably even scrap that one. He only played 11 snaps in that game. Since then, he had two bad games. He had one bad game against the Rams. He had a 41.5 overall grade, terrible in coverage, terrible in everything. And then against Kansas City in week 16, he had a really bad grade, 37.8. Every other game, though, 77, 92, 71, 78, 67, 73, and then a 61, which is mediocre. That's consistently, I would rather have consistent, you know, 69 to 75s, like every week, than a guy who has 40s and an occasional 90. You know, I mean, I the the, the issue I have with Kwiatkowski is that he's very up and down. Week, rookie year, he had a grade of 59. 2017, he had a grade of 80.5. I think he was one of the highest graded linebackers, and I remember that year because I'm like, who the heck is quit? I've never heard of the guy. And he doesn't actually get that many snaps because he's the number three linebacker. The the most he's played is this past year in 2019, 512 snaps, and he missed a bunch of time. So he was a full-time linebacker for the Chicago Bears at one point. But, um, I mean, he didn't hardly play until week 10. But then again, in 2018, he kind of fell off. So he had a, a mediocre year, a really good year, a so so not great year and then a really good year the the other issue is when he has down years it's because of his coverage ability that's sort of the other aspect of this he's he's been solid against the run pretty much since day one not not elite but good enough he's been consistently good he's a really solid tackler which is important he's actually a very very good pass rusher which is something that we could definitely be you know consider 
But I think if we get a guy like Nick Kwiatkowski, the other aspect of this is we got to get another guy that can cover. Because when he's had his down years in 2016 and 2018, his coverage grade, for example, in 2016 was a 48.5. His NFL passer rating was tar- when targeted was 110.7. Targeted 26 times, caught 22 for 195 yards and a touchdown. In 2018, it was even worse. His coverage grade was a 46.7. He's only targeted nine times, so they must not have put him in that situation very often. Eight of those nine were caught for 77 yards and a touchdown. A NFL passer rating when targeted of 139.4. Now, is better in the good years, right? Last year, 85.8. That's solid. Again, though, I'm not opposed to... I am opposed to Schobert. And I'm, I very rarely take hard stances on I don't want him because I can picture the Packers taking him and then I want to support him. But I don't want Schobert. I just don't. He is, he is more often than not, not just not great, an abysmal football player, and I'm tired of that. I'm tired of seeing weeks where the Packers just don't show up. That is exactly the problem, and Schobert is that guy, except 90% of the time he doesn't show up, 10% of the time he's the best linebacker in football. I don't want that. Kwiatkowski is, is a little bit more close to what I view of Austin Hooper. He's got all the upside in the world to be one of the better linebackers, but he's got some, some blemishes, he's got some... There are some concerning things. There's some question marks. I'm just not sure how good he's going to be, but he's got a lot of potential. He's been a solid linebacker. And if we can, if we look at it from the standpoint of we're going to bring him in because he, we, we need him as an upgrade, and I do think he is an upgrade over everybody that we currently have. That's not even really much of a stretch. Um, I guess the biggest concern I have is the, the plan would be Kwiatkowski and Burks, which I'm not super high on that plan, but either way, You've got the opportunity in the second or third round to get some of these linebackers. There are some talented linebackers, obviously guys that are very fast and can cover. Is more of a, a hallmark of what linebackers do today. So a lot of these guys, even in the second and third rounds, there's, there's several of them. The 235-pound guys, as opposed to all these 245, 247-pound guys like Blake and Kwiatkowski and Schober, these are 229 to 237-pound guys. Instead of running these 475s, they're running in the 4.6s. Which I don't think linebackers have have linebackers gone yet. No, for some reason I kept getting that confused. It was running backs yesterday. I kept thinking it was linebackers yesterday, which I really wanted to watch. And I'm sitting here watching offensive linemen who I don't care about their forty times all that much. There were some good forty times. I just you know I don't think it's as big of a deal. But today, edge, defensive line, and linebackers are going to be a really big day. And I, I just again I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of linebackers that are going to be. Um, what we need to see. And if you want a Wisconsin linebacker, consider Zach Bond before you consider Joe Schobert is, is the way that I would phrase that. By the way, I need to watch Zach Bond today. There's a lot of excitement. I don't know if it's undue excitement, kind of like the Quintez Cephas. I still haven't watched him. I don't know if I want to anymore because I have a feeling he's going to go undrafted after that 40 time. But uh, very excited to finish running backs and watch Zach Bond today, if I can. But anyways, um, I also wanted to get into tight ends, but I'm just going to cut it off there, especially since you know, Saturday, Sunday, not a huge listenership. Don't want to dump all the good stuff on the slow days. But uh, anyways, that, that's kind of where I'm at on those things. Real exciting with the salary cap, and it'll be nice to get something official. And I think at that point, you're going to see a lot of, I mean, it's not just the Packers. Every team is going to be just throwing money around like crazy, which could actually mean free agency isn't quite as nuts because some teams are going to be keeping a lot more of their own guys. But anyways, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. Enjoy your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.